I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up on the weekly rant, as well as take a little deeper dive into a column I wrote at goodfaithmedia.org this week, discussing why I promote and advocate for a progressive faith. And then our interview this week is with the newly elected Executive Director for Baptist Women in Ministry, Dr. Meredith Stone. So stay tuned. Autumn, how are you doing this week? Well, I am living my best life. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Right, because I'm virtually attending the DNC this week. What about you? Oh, that's right. The uh, Democratic National Convention is happening this week all across the country. I think it was originally scheduled uh, for Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But obviously with the pandemic, uh, they had to move it to virtual. RNC is scheduled for next week. But yeah, I've been watching... uh, uh, watching every evening, uh, the speakers have been fantastic. The the musical uh, numbers have been remarkable. Um, yeah. I still I still have chills from that opening night when it opened with uh, all those students singing the the national anthem. That was really remarkable. Yeah, you know something that has been hard for me since twenty sixteen uh, has been feeling very patriotic. Mm-hmm. And. And I don't know what I don't know if other people feel that way when their candidate doesn't win, but this felt more like more than oh my candidate lost. It just felt like this isn't my country, and so I feel like the DNC has been like the first little like glimmer of hope on the horizon. Right. No, you know I think you're you're onto something because uh, since 2016, it's just been one scandal after another, one tweet after another that has not only been embarrassing for you know, much of our country, but has really caused long-term damage, unfortunately, to the image of the United States across the globe. Our allies look at us differently. Um, and I don't, I don't know when that's going to change. Um, even if there, I mean, eventually there's going to be a new president. Don't know if it's going to be this year or four years from now. But it's always got to be in the back of our allies' mind that, hey, at any time the U.S. could go off the rails. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's yeah. been it's been a weird time, but it's it's been nice to to uh, kind of tap back into that patriotism uh, that we have yeah. uh, as a country. It's uh, vitally important to to who we are as a as a country and as a people. Uh, what's been the highlights for you thus far? I mean, anytime Michelle Obama talks, right? Because she's uh, she was superb. She's just fantastic. And as you know, you know, but our audience doesn't, another glimmer of hope since, you know, for a long time, but especially in 2016 when the skies were really dark and murky, has been Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, she's from Oklahoma. She's the baby of four children, um, which is why we named our daughter Ingrid Warren after her. Oh yeah. Um, like I just, I think she's amazing. She's a lawyer. She's been a teacher. She's been a mom and she's just a a warrior. And she was a little bit sneaky last night, wasn't she? I know. Yeah. That's (laughs) why I was bringing her up because in the background she was sitting, you know, her, her background was a classroom and they had like little cubbies with like people's initials and strategically, you know, Benjamin, Levin and Matthew must've had their little cubbies <laughs> right in a row because very bold front and center was BLM. Uh, and so I don't think that was accidental. I think she had 
um, a really strategic intern, I'm thinking. Right. No, no, it was fantastic. You pointed it out to me last night uh, when you texted me that image, and it was, it was remarkable. <laughs> so, yeah. What's been the highlight for you? You know, several. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm always really appreciative anytime uh, something new happens into the convention, whether that's a Republican convention or a Democratic convention, and having the first. Uh, African-American, Indian-American woman nominated for vice president is remarkable. And so uh, you know, uh, we saw, saw that happen officially last night, uh, yeah. and that was, that was really, really neat to see. And uh, Kamala Harris spoke uh, very well last night uh, in her acceptance speech. And so that was, that was really neat to see. Um, you know, again, like you said, uh, seeing President Obama last night speak, uh, yeah brought a lot of nostalgia back uh, to a time where we had presidents, and I use that plural, both Republican and Democrat, right. who was not, they didn't see their main objective as causing chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think our current president, all he cares about is causing chaos and, mm -hmm. and, and passing policy and doing everything that is eventually going to benefit him and serve him. Uh, yeah. the presidency is all about Trump and to see Obama speak last night just was a reminder. Was, oh yeah. You know, we used to have presidents who, who cared more about them, more about the people and the office and the country than they did about their own self-interest. So it was, it was nice yeah. to see him uh, back on the public stage. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to be watching the RNC next week and mm -hmm. we'll be talking about that on next week's podcast. Um, I feel like, I definitely feel more passionate about this one. And some of that ties into the article that you wrote this week for Good Faith Media. Yeah, I wrote an article uh, was published uh, Thursday of this week uh, entitled My Progressive Faith. And I get a lot of questions about my faith, um, why I think the way I do, why I interpret and apply scripture the way I do. And so I thought, you know, I think it's a good time to maybe just uh, – hit some highlights of why I do that, why I think the way I do. And so I've got seven points uh, for why I adhere to what I call a progressive faith. And the main, one of the main points in the article suggests that when we think, the term, think of the term progressive, unfortunately it does have a political, um, I guess a political connotation, connotation to it. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, it has that connotation, but being a progressive does not necessarily mean that you're either liberal or conservative, because as we know throughout history, there have been progressives on both sides of the aisle, both sides of uh, the church, uh, and it simply means trying to advance thought, advance faith, advance politics into the future and being open to new ways and to new possibilities and to, to again, push, uh, push our culture forward and its thinking and its ideas and the implementation of those ideas. So for me, being a progressive is more about being open to new possibilities because I would hate to think that somehow I would conclude that I have gained all the knowledge and am not open to learning more about God. I think if Jesus were to return today, he would be very disappointed 
if we did not know more about him, know more about God, and advanced our faith over 2,000 years. We have been given this great gift, which we are rooted in, which is our faith in Jesus as, as Christians, but we should be about progressing that faith, making it better mm-hmm. with each generation. And the only way to do that is to, to ask you know, difficult questions and to toil with different, difficult circumstances. And yeah. where we are found lacking, try to make those things better uh, for the next generation. I mean, he didn't sit back on his, you know, lordly laurels and just hang out in the comfort of the synagogue. You know, he was out you know, there. A, yeah, you know, what's interesting about that, and you bring up a, an excellent point, Autumn, because oh, <laughs> because if you think about it, and uh, Bruce, uh, uh, I think his last name's Chilton, who wrote the book uh, Rabbi Jesus, talks about Jesus' early education and the fact that Jesus was a child of questionable birth. Now, hist- historically, you know, Christians have, some Christians have held to the virgin birth, and, and we have come to grips with his questionable birth. But if you think about it back then, it was scandalous, especially in Nazareth, that Mary, you know, who's it a teenager. Been in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nazareth, Clifton, Texas. I mean, yeah, they're, they're about the same. Um, but because of that, um, there was a stigma attached to him. And he would not be allowed to get the proper schooling and education from the rabbis that mm. other children would receive. So the, the scholar argues, Chilton argues, that Jesus probably developed his theology from kind of some rogue rabbis. Who, from the others. Right, who didn't mind teaching a boy from questionable birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, it's, it's just interesting. That, that was his foundation. He, he grew up probably learning theology outside of the normative ways of learning and out of the institution. And also was treated, you know, probably terribly uh, because of, of uh, his questionable birth. But so at any rate, uh, you know, I think his education, he was, he was always exploring new ideas, uh, thinking through things. And we see that as an adult when he begins his ministry. Uh, you know, you have heard it say, but I say to you, um, you know, and, you know, just he, he, respected orthodoxy. He respected belief. He never abandoned his Jewish faith, but he was constantly looking at what is God revealing today? What is God saying today? How can we make life better in the here and now? One point that you made in your article was he never let any of that get in the way of love, right? which he said is the greatest commitment. Yeah. And that is, I mean, you know, for me being a progressive person of faith means that love is not only the center of my existence, it is should be attached to everything that I do. Even in moments where I am critical of others, and um, part of my job is to look at the way other people act and what they say and, and do and offer a critical eye to that. But even in doing so, I think I always have to be tethered to love. It uh, doesn't mean I uh, like what other people do, like what other people say, but it does mean I have to speak with love in my heart. And Dr. Martin Luther King, who I mentioned in the article, said it best that uh, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can drive out hate. And mm-hmm. I think that is 
that is accurate. Uh, when he yeah. looked across the streets and saw the Bull Connors of the world who were wanting to beat on a skull, you know, it'd be hard to, to look at that person with love, but he was able to do it. Uh, and he certainly, you know, changed the world through his nonviolent actions mm-hmm. and protest. So, well, so it's a yeah. great article. Well, thank you. I appreciate everyone it. Everyone read it. Um, we're recording this on Thursday, and the first part of it has come out today. Part two comes out tomorrow. And I just have to say that from being a, a preacher to now being a CEO, you somehow have gone from a three point on everything to another <laughs> seven. Well, yeah, I'm a backed up preacher. So I've got to get the words out, Autumn. That's I've got to preach. That's right. I can eat my, my fried chicken lunch while I read your articles. So That's it's right. I started out uh, writing uh, on Tuesday this particular article. And I got about halfway through it. And we have a word count. We try to stay around 800 words per column. And uh, I, I clicked on the, the word count at, at some point during the day. And it said, you're at a thousand words. And I knew I was about halfway through. So I immediately emailed Zach and said, hey, uh, sorry, uh, but uh, I'm going to have a two-part article this week because I'm at a thousand. You get to do that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so yeah, uh, it's a two-parter. First part was uh, released uh, on Thursday. Second part will be released on Friday. So hope you enjoy it and hope it uh, maybe uh, challenges you a little bit as well as enlightens you a little bit. So uh, thanks for uh, checking us out at goodfaithmedia.org. Well, stay tuned. We are going to, Autumn and I are going to visit with the new executive director of Baptist Women in Ministry, Dr. Meredith Stone. Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith are coming together and joining forces to launch Good Faith Media. Is that not exciting? I am pumped. I'm so excited. We've been planning this and scheming and dreaming, and it's finally coming to fruition. Well, we're really excited to roll out the new website, uh, hoping that everybody will get a chance to log on to goodfaithmedia.org uh, starting July the 1st. But uh, there's also something we want to invite uh, a lot of our good friends to be a part of, and that is the Good Faith 50. So, Autumn, tell us a little bit about the Good Faith 50. The Good Faith 50 is a group of our friends who want to support us. And our goal is to grow our monthly members, so our our folks who donate to the mission of Good Faith Media, which is to provide resources and reflection at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. We want to invite the people who believe in that mission to become monthly donors. And our goal in July and August is to grow our monthly donors by 50. That is absolutely awesome. We welcome anybody who wants to be a part of the Good Faith crew in the months of July and August. And all they need to do is go to goodfaithmedia.org, hit the donate button, and then select to become part of the Good Faith 50 and a monthly donor at any level. And we would love to hear from you. And we appreciate, as always, your support. Your contribution helps us publish new articles each and every day. It also helps us uh, produce short documentaries and allows us to cover stories across the country. It helps us publish more books and provide more experiences for more people of faith. We are trying to advance a faith that is inclusive for all, providing justice for all and freedom for all. So make certain you sign up on Good Faith 50 at goodfaithmedia.org.
Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got a very inspirational guest joining us on this uh, week's podcast, Dr. Meredith Stone. Dr. Stone was recently announced as the new executive director for Baptist Women in Ministry. She previously served as associate dean for academics and assistant professor of scriptures and ministry at Logston Seminary of, at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. She is a native Texan. Dr. Stone has served as an ordained minister in the roles of teaching pastor and inter pastor for emerging adults and Baptist congregations in Texas and as women in ministry specialist for Texas Baptist. She's a graduate of Hardin-Simmons University and earned a doctor of philosophy in biblical, with biblical interpretations from Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University. She's also an avid member of First Baptist Church of Abilene, as well as a Sunday school teacher. She was married to James, and they have two brilliant daughters, and we are thrilled that you're with us this week. Welcome to the pod. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we are delighted that you are with us. Well, we want to begin every interview during this uh, time of pandemic simply by asking you, how are you and James and the girls? Everybody healthy in your family? Everybody is healthy. We are uh, figuring out what it is like to be together constantly for, you know, five or six months. Uh, both before the pandemic, both James and I had jobs that would travel occasionally, and our girls are very busy with theater and gymnastics and choir, and so this was a big shift for us to to be all together, and now we're trying to work toward what is it going to look like to get back to school uh, and how all that's going to be for, for the girls who are in high school and middle school, uh, fun times for them. Uh, so we're all doing well. Well, as Autumn can contest, all of our guests who have uh, children in school, uh, we we just our heart goes out to them. I mean, it's it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult time these days. I mean, you're juggling work, you're juggling being at a teacher's assistant now. I mean, just so much going on in life right now. So. Yeah, James was the uh, principal of school uh, whenever that was happening in the spring, and I was trying to you know closet in my you know little room mm-hmm. to keep them away from me so I could teach my classes. Yeah, um, and I think the principal's job was mainly just to say, "Go do your work." Uh, but it worked. Well, that was my principal, Principal Cagle, back at Walter Reed Elementary School in the east side of Tulsa. Go Cardinals. I mean, that's all he did. He stood there and hand to God, he stood there in the center of the elementary school, cigarette dangling from his mouth, just barking (laughs) orders. Go that way. Go this way. Go that way. I mean, that's the way, you know, principals do. Yeah. (laughs) Well, at least that's what they did. I will give him credit. He did, you know, help with some of those English and history assignments. Math, not so much, but English and history for sure. Well, that's great. Well, Meredith, first of all, we just want to congratulate you on being named the new executive director for Baptist Women in Ministry. I, for one, personally am terribly excited for both you and BWIM. But this is kind of a change for you. I mean, you're coming, and when I think about Meredith Stone, I think really of Dr. Meredith Stone, the academician. Uh, someone who's a, an incredible scholar and, and teacher. Uh, how's I mean, what what's drawing you to this position uh, going into uh, going to Baptist Women in Ministry? Yeah, while this is a new endeavor, I would say this is not new work for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is work that I have been deeply committed to. It is personal to me and that I've been engaged with throughout my career. You know, growing up in a pretty conservative Baptist environment, you know, my call to ministry as a teenage girl was not exactly affirmed or, you know, celebrated in any kind of public way. If anything, it was kind of pushed into the corner uh, very differently than I saw of my male peers. Uh, and so then that, that was kind of began a 10 year journey for me to figure out how do I line up these gifts that I feel like I have mm -hmm. with what I've experienced um, in terms of limitations as a woman in ministry um, and through, you know, the great gift of mentors and professors and friends and uh, toward the end of that journey, discovering Baptist women in ministry, I was able to claim my own voice and identity as a minister, um, but it took 10 hard years to get there. Um, and so really, you know, from that point on, it became a passion of mine that other people would be able to find that more quickly. And not only that, that I could help them in that journey of walking uh, as a woman in ministry, which is not always the easiest thing uh, to do. Right. You know, sometimes it can be very isolating. There are challenges that, that come with that. Uh, and so even though I've been in a little uh, different work for the past six years, um, I, I feel as though this is uh, in many ways uh, the same work that I have always been about just maybe with a little different expression in the day to day. Yeah. Mm. I love that. So Meredith, I also, you mentioned growing up in sort of a more conservative Baptist church in Texas. So did I. Um, oh, you grew up in fundamentalist I, Baptist churches. Let's just get blunt about it. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I could throw a rock across highway six, um, in Clifton, Texas and hit a Presbyterian and a Methodist church who both during my 18 years living in my hometown had female pastors, Yeah, but our Baptist church certainly didn't. And, um, you know, I think it seems like those denominations have always been a little bit, you know, ahead of us in that game and in a lot of others. So do you think that times are changing for Baptist? Um, I'm going to go with yes, no, and I hope so. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Set back. Um, We're going to get an answer. <laughs> I think that, yes, I, I really think that in moderate to progressive Baptist congregations, we are seeing a shift. Mm -hmm. um, and we are seeing churches being much more affirming of women and empowering them in different roles. And, and I kind of think of it in terms of my in my undergraduate degree, my minor was business. And so every now and then some of those little things stuck with me. Uh, not many, I will say, but a few of them did. And one was this uh, theory of innovation diffusion, where anytime there's kind of a new thing that's happening, mm -hmm. you're going to get a really small percent of people that are the innovators that are going to have that. So that's like the people who in 1989 had the giant you know, bag cell phones. You remember that? Oh, yeah, Did yeah, you sure. have one, Mitch? Uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, I, uh, I upgraded from my uh, you know, Canon string, but yeah, I had one. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, so you get that tiny percentage of innovators, and then you start to get the early adopters, which is a larger percentage of the folks. Presbyterians, right? <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Um, and as those early adopters, as the numbers grow, then people see that the thing is working, 
Um, you know, those innovators and the early mm-hmm. adopters are people who normally are having to purchase the product at a high cost. Mm-hmm. It's really costing them something to, to step out on this limb and try something new. But the more people that do it, then others are able to look at them and go, hey, that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like where we are with moderate to progressive Baptists is I feel like maybe we're toward the end of the early adopter phase. Mm. You know, we had the innovators who came in, then we've had people who've been able to see that and there's still great costs involved uh, with uh, affirming and empowering women in ministry in some places. But what happens after the early adopters is you get this huge uptick with the early majority and then into the late majority. And so I feel like we're on the cusp of that happening. So I'm, I'm really, that's my, I hope so. I hope that's actually going to play out uh, in that way. Uh, the no part is, you know, our, our culture is uh, so polarized. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I look at the last, you know, even four or five years, we've become so much more polarized. Surely there were things happening before that that kind of led to this polarization of society, but uh, but that's not only in society at large, that's become a part of our faith expression, a part of denominations, a, a part of religion is that we've got this polarization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like among Baptists that, that we're experiencing that. Mm-hmm. And so while, uh, you know, several years ago, we may have had churches who were willing to kind of be in fellowship with one another when they disagreed And then maybe they saw that women in ministry was working and it was a good thing and the good ministry that was happening. And then they were able to become part of the early majority. Instead, we've had this polarization where people have moved away from each other. And so I feel like on the other end of the spectrum and and the moderate to conservative end of the spectrum for Baptists, that I I feel like maybe we're not seeing that change, Mm. Um, that in some ways maybe there's even been a regression um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but that's you know kind of the take from from it feels my true. Feet. Yeah. 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 You know, Merit, you speak to an extremely important point. And, uh, you know, I remember sitting in the sanctuary at uh, a Baptist church in Winston-Salem when the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship was having their annual meeting and BWIM was having their uh, meeting prior uh, to the General Assembly. And your predecessor, Pam Durso, uh, and BWIM released a report about the state of women in ministry across the moderate to progressive Baptist family. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. I mean, shocked about how small the number was of women serving in the quote unquote senior pastor role. Mm-hmm. Um, because all I had heard for 20 something years, two decades was that well, moderate, moderate progressive Baptists, they support women in ministry. They support women pastors. And when I saw that number that was so shocking and so low, it was like, well, there seems to be a disconnect here. Are we just placating female ministers with our words but not giving them the opportunity to lead congregationally and institutionally? Um, and, and that was just really revealing to me. Um, trying to get around to a question uh, regarding this, it sounds as though you think that trend is beginning to change, but are there still hurdles both in 
the congregation and in the institution that are preventing uh, opportunities for female leaders and pastors? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think there are still hurdles, and, and I tend to be a critical optimist. Oh. So mm-hmm. I, I tend to see that progress, and that last report came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last five years, I think we have continued to see that upward growth uh, that I hope continues. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of congregations that are figuring out how to move from, sure, we support women in ministry, to actually having a congregation that embodies an egalitarian existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I I hear churches who will say when they are in the process of hiring a senior pastor, uh, a lot of churches that will take female resumes, who will interview female candidates, and then may kind of end that process saying, you know, we just weren't ready yet. Mm. Um, and, And I tend to think that that's more of a fear of the unknown uh, than anything else. Uh, and what I like to, to tell folks is that, you know, any new pastor, whether they're male or female, is an unknown. Just because they're male doesn't mean they're going to be like your previous pastor and the one before and the one before. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to make mistakes. Um, and so I, I think that I think there is some of that fear of the unknown. Um, and I think a, a, a huge part of that uh, process, whenever churches are willing to entertain the idea of a, of a woman pastor, but then just don't quite get there, um, is that women's resumes look different than men's resumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent 10 years from the time I felt called to ministry until I had my first you know, non-intern ministry position. Mm-hmm. But my male peers, you know, within a few months, they were hired as the youth minister at this church. So they had 10 more years experience than I did. Right. Uh, you know, they were hired early on to, to be pastors of congregations. And so when you're looking at a woman's resume side by side by a man's resume, it's really easy to say, well, they have 10 years of experience in pastoral ministry and she has zero without kind of taking into account all of these variables. Mm-hmm. And so I think churches have to figure out how to read women's resumes Uh, for what they're really looking for uh, in terms of qualities. Um, And part of that has to do with, you know, just some of those uh, underlying biases Mm -hmm. uh, that we, we come into as congregants um, that we have whenever we're thinking about what the pastor is, what the pastor should be like. Uh, There are a lot of those underlying issues there. Well, Meredith, let's transition. I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you think it matters if the woman applying for the job has a husband who can play the piano? (laughs) (laughs) Who can make like a green green bean casserole? Like we should be really wise in who we marry, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, though, I I have had friends who have gone through processes um, who they are looked at as a couple. Even whenever the woman's being... Uh, brought in. And sometimes their, you know, their husbands have a very different experience than the wife of a male candidate has. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes those husband candidates feel this pressure to be a certain way to fit that mold, you know, that you're talking about, that they're Mm going to be a partner in ministry in a way that, you know, maybe they're assuming is expected of them. Uh, when they really want to come in and just be there as a supportive partner right. um, yeah. and not receive all the questions about, well, how are you going to deal with her going to the hospital late at night? 
Um, and so it, I, I mean, there's, there's lots of layers. Sure. Well, let's shift gears a little bit because not only is BWIM an advocate for uh, female ministers, but they're also ministering to ministers. And I know that's an essential part of your organization. Um, I know Autumn's got a question here in just a moment, but tell us a little bit about how BWIM ministers to female ministers. Yeah, so a big initiative that uh, BWIM has started a few years back was our mentoring initiative uh, in which we are trying to gather ministers who are earlier in their careers and pair them with a more seasoned minister so that they can have someone to call um, whenever things are kind of happening and they don't understand what's going on. Um, I was talking to someone who's in one of those mentoring groups recently, and uh, she was having this issue with her congregation and she didn't quite understand why it was happening the way that it was. And so she called her mentor mm -hmm. and her mentor was able to say, Hey, those expectations are a little unreasonable. Um, mm -hmm. Here's the way that I've handled that in the past. And think about who you are as a person and what that would translate into uh, for how you might handle that. So even being able to just make that call, I think is a huge part uh, we want to support uh, the re retention is a word we use in academia, but sustainability right, sure. of women in ministry, because uh, just like male ministers, uh, and I, I'm not sure if studies have been done on this, but I see so many women who are leaving ministry um, who get into a position and just the overwhelming pressure and expectation drives them out of that work. Um, maybe it's the isolation or, or the different kinds of challenges they face. Uh, and so we not only want to be a part of advocating for women to find those opportunities of expression, but to be there for them as they are trying to have a sustainable ministry and being able to persevere in ministry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So as our listeners are, you know, hearing this interview, what can we do to support um, women in ministry locally and then also be them? I would say that the first thing that you can do to support women in ministry is think of a woman, you know, who is a minister and support her, mm -hmm. pray for her, send her cards, uh, be a confidant for her, be someone who even when uh, she is getting negative uh, feedback from all different ways that she has someone who she knows is always going to be a supporter. I think that one-on-one -on -one support is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, uh, for the listeners, you know, it just is an, uh, an encouragement to them to do that in a personal way, I think can mean so much. Um, and in terms of BWIM, you know, we would love for you to join in a lot of the work that we are doing. Um, we have a lot of resources that are available in terms of placement, in terms of helping your congregation uh, think about what it would look like to have uh, a woman minister. And so if those are resources that are helpful to you, we hope that you would uh, use them and find them. It's uh, bwim.info. Um, the associate director, Lynn Brinkley, and I are also part of those resources, and we would love to partner with your congregations as you are thinking about what it looks like for your church to empower and support women further. Um, and, you know, as in all 
nonprofit organizations, which are supported by individuals, churches, organizations, and foundations, we would love for you to give, you know, give in the name of that woman in ministry who has meant so much to you. Uh, give if those resources are helpful to you. We would love to have you as a partner in that. Well, speaking of partnerships, uh, Good Faith Media has a partnership with Baptist Women in Ministry. We have produced and released two short documentaries about two incredible female pastors serving in Baptist churches. Those two stories are about Reverend Mary Alice Birdwhistle and Reverend Tanya Vickery. Uh, both were incredibly done. Our media producer, Cliff Vaughn, uh, deserves all the credit in the world for putting those together. But those stories are important, Meredith. And we've got the third in pre-production, which is going to be about Reverend Danielle Bridgeforth in Virginia. And if if, pan, if the pandemic would ever break, we can travel again and uh, and, mm-hmm. and start filming uh, that third documentary. But these stories are not only inspiring, but they're breaking down walls. They're illustrating, as you mentioned a moment ago, just kind of the positive outcomes of congregational leadership and congregational relationship. How powerful are these stories and why do they need to continue to be told? I think they are hugely powerful. Uh, So much uh, of a a new thing, uh, whenever we're trying something new, has to do with uh, it not feeling so new, Mm -hmm. Uh, with there being a familiarity about it, with you know, when I was growing up thinking about women in ministry, I had seen a, a woman who had worked in a nonprofit organization and a woman who had come to our church as a missionary, and that was all I'd ever seen. Mm. And so for people to be able to see these stories, um, to see these women who are, are such faithful ministers, how their congregations love and support them um, and have empowered them in their ministries, I think can be so powerful. Mm-hmm. I, our, uh, and this is my, my own theory, and y'all can tell me if you think it, it, it's baloney, but I think our imaginations are composed of how we can figure pieces of things that we have already seen. Mm-hmm. So like when you're imagining something, even if it's something you've never seen before, you've just taken some pieces that you already have seen and know, and you put them into a different order right. so that you could have a new imagination. And so I think that people need pieces out of which they can construct a new imagination for ministry in their churches. And so these stories, these documentaries become those pieces as they can see it and they can begin to say, what might we imagine in terms of leadership of our congregation and how that might look in the future? I love that imagination. Our congregations need more imagination. So I I love Mm. that. That's fantastic. Well, speaking of imagination, uh, our time with you is coming to a close. But before we end this interview, Autumn always has one final question for our guest. So Autumn, take it away. Absolutely. Our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about on the show today, what is your more to tell? Can I have two? Yes, well, of course. <laughs> um, one is, you know, we've talked a lot about women in senior pastor roles, which I think is really important uh, to moving forward uh, among Baptists. But women among Baptists serve in so many other ways. 
Uh, they serve our congregations and other staff roles. They serve as chaplains. They serve as missionaries. They serve as uh, leaders on con- college campuses. Um, and we want to support women throughout the church. Um, and those women are just as important as the women who are serving in senior pastor roles. Uh, for those churches who have had women deacons, to be able to say, okay, we're going to have a chair of our women deacons who is a woman, and for that person to be able to fully express her calling for leadership in her congregation in a lay way, um, a lay leadership way might be the better way to say that, mm-hmm. um, is, is so important to our congregations yeah. being able to embody an environment that says all voices and all people are valued here. Um, And so uh, when you think about women in ministry, hopefully don't stop with just thinking about women in senior pastor roles, uh, but think about the women who are Sunday school teachers, who are uh, passing out the the bulletins, uh, who are the the music minister, who are uh, the chaplain in the hospital. Um, I think that is, that's so huge. Um, And then kind of my second one is similar to that. And as we are in a moment in U.S. society where we have kind of been having these uh, reckonings, you know, it started with the Me Too movement. Now we're really having a moment of reckoning uh, with racial justice. Um, You know, we celebrate that reckoning moment, but we also lament that it has taken so long. Um, and we, we recognize that the work will not be done this year. There is work still to come. Uh, and when we think about that, you know, if you think about women who are a part of black indigenous and, and communities of color, uh, who are called to ministry, who are seeking to minister, they have got layers of inequity and oppression to address, It's not just patriarchy. They have got these other layers that are uh, keeping them from being able to embody the image of the divine that has been implanted within them. Mm -hmm. And so I I hope that uh, as, as we as a Baptist community continue to advocate for women in ministry, that we will be thinking even more broadly uh, about women who are facing all kinds of challenges um, and how we might be able to empower those those unheard voices to elevate them, and we might be able to get a much larger picture of who God is by seeing these these unique reflections that come in forms that maybe we haven't heard before. So well said, so well said. Well, Dr. Meredith Stone, new executive director for Baptist Women Women in Ministry. You can find out more about BWIM at bwim.info. So make certain to log on and check all the great resources they have regarding Baptist Women in Ministry. Meredith, it has been a pure delight. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. For me as well. Thank you all for having me. Thanks. And for our listeners, we want to remind you to uh, tune in next week as we will have another guest and Autumn and I will continue our ramblings that uh, we always enjoy before our interviews. But uh, until then, remember, keep practicing good faith. Mm -hmm.